Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have you ever heard of the rule of threes? There are a couple of principles that are referred to as the rule of threes. One is found in mathematics, while another is a principle of writing. But I'm not talking about either one of those. This one has to do with survival. There have been a number of emergency or disaster events in the news. Whole communities have been forced to evacuate on a moment's notice because of hurricanes or wildfires. Earthquakes and tsunamis have hit without warning and disrupt services such as power, food delivery, and clean water. On a smaller scale, there have been many reports of people stranded for days in cars or in buildings. The people impacted by these events often were not adventurers in a remote part of the world, but ordinary people like you and me, going about their normal routine, but finding themselves in critical situations, situations that threatened their lives. So picture for a moment that you are caught up in such a situation. Would you know what to do? Now, I did not specify what the disaster was or how many people there were, so how could anyone know what to do? Well, that is where the rule of threes, that thing I mentioned before, that is where it becomes very useful. It does not matter what the emergency is. These principles are still valid, not because they tell you what to do, but because they tell you what to do first. It is the order that is critical. The rule of three says in very general terms, you can live three minutes without air. You can live three hours without shelter. You can live three days without water. You can live three weeks without food. Breaking it down, it means that if you can't breathe, solve that problem first. That seems obvious until you hear about someone drowning in floodwaters while trying to protect their flat screen TV. The message from the rule of threes is, let the TV go and get to high ground. The same principle applies for choking on smoke or dust. Breathing comes first in the list of survival priorities. Second, if you can breathe, you will need shelter. If you are chilled, it can lead to hypothermia, which can kill, even on a 60-degree day. Light a fire, get a blanket, or get out of the cold rain. But whatever you do, get warm. If you are in the desert, get out of the sun so you do not overheat. If you don't, you can die within hours. The message? Seek shelter. Third is the need to find drinking water. This is a much more pressing problem than access to food. In fact, eating makes the need for water even worse. And only after these other three needs are met should someone search for food. The rule of threes gives us a way of thinking and sorting through the chaos of the moment to help us determine what the priorities need to be. We can take this simple piece of information and reorder our actions to help us survive. It is interesting to consider that to survive, I must discard instinct and bad reflexes and let good outside information change my thinking and behavior. But what about everyday life? Most of the time, we are not in danger of dying from exposure or thirst. However, we often are passionate about values, goals, or causes. So much so that it almost rivals the intensity of a life-or-death situation. We spend money, energy, and time to satisfy or promote those ideas. What are you passionate about, 
and what do you place first in your life? My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry, weary, and parched land. This is part of the first verse of Psalm 63, a psalm written by King David. As a man very familiar with the desert, he says his focus and passion is like being lost in the wilderness and searching for a source of water. But what is the subject of that desperate search? The psalm begins, God, you are my God. I will earnestly seek you. In earlier podcasts, we have mentioned that David was described as a man after God's own heart, and that we have the great privilege of listening in on his thoughts and prayers. We can use the Psalms to peer into his thinking and to understand his connection with God. Here in Psalm 63, we can get a sense of his priorities and passion. But what is often missed is the basis of that passion. It is not a blind desire based in ignorance, but is grounded on what David has learned, what he has seen, and how God has demonstrated who he is. He writes, I have looked for you in the sanctuary. I behold your power and glory. For us, can we be passionate about something we do not know much about? I don't think so. Our connection to a cause grows with knowledge. Why do passionate sports fans memorize the names of the players, the statistics of the teams, and their histories? They are seeking a closer connection to the sport and those involved, even if they personally have never played for the team or played the sport at all. Other people collect coins, stamps, or cards, and if you ask them, they will tell you more than you ever wanted to know about their passion. Why do people struggle with a connection with God? The first answer is they do not know who he is, what he has done, what he has said, or what he has promised. They have not dug deep into the story to look into the eyes of someone like David as he proclaims with such fervor his connection with God. They do not know the stories of men and women like Daniel, Esther, Ruth, or Peter. They have not imagined the crushing grief of Mary as she laid her brother Lazarus in his tomb or seen the indescribable joy on her face as her brother appears alive again because of Jesus. They cannot love what they do not know. And love is the word used here. David says that the love of God is more valuable than life itself. Not only that, but he says he will shout out loud the message of God's love. When we love something and have become completely involved in it, we cannot help but talk about it. Have you ever met a new grandparent? That is what they want to talk about and show you pictures and tell you all the ways that their grandchild is special. Why? Because they have looked at that little one and have fallen in love. There is nothing held back. Nor do they say, I will only love that baby if they do this for me or say the right thing. And the child looking at that love responds with love back. But David wants everyone to know the love of God, so much so that he will shout it out. If you have ever been to a major sporting event, you have seen this or have done it yourself. People can yell and cheer until they lose their voice as they express their passions and connections not only to the team, 
or the event, but to those that share their loyalties. But it runs much deeper than that. I was attending a Major League Baseball game when the public announcer asked everyone to stand and remove their hats for the singing of the national anthem. The singer began the song, but after only a few words, the public address system went out. Without pause, more than 40,000 people in attendance filled the void with their own voices, singing with pride and with tears in sharing such a wonderful moment. We were not singing because of some obligation, but to express our connection with the nation, with its ideals, and with each other. David's shout is like that. He has found a sense of peace, a cause worthy of his devotion, someone honorable and loyal to follow, and a deep sense of satisfaction. He calls across 3,000 years of history to us, pleading with us to see what he sees, know what he knows, and feel what he feels. David says in this psalm that this connection with God is deeply satisfying. In verse 5, he uses the image of being fulfilled like enjoying a fine meal. This same idea is used by Jesus in one of his most iconic sermons. When he begins, he lists those that are blessed of God. In one of those statements, Jesus says, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Look at the parallels. David says his passion for God is like a man in the desert searching for water, and Jesus says blessed are those that thirst for God. David says knowing God is satisfying like a fine meal, and Jesus says those that hunger for the righteousness of God will be filled. When we discussed Psalm 13, we saw David in trouble and near death. Yet he turned in faith and confidence to the God of heaven to plead for help and understanding. In this psalm, we have a very different image. In verse 6, we see David at the end of the day, lying in bed. What is he thinking about? He is thinking about his favorite topic, the God that he loves. In the night, just before sleep, when he wants to begin to drift away with comforting and positive thoughts, he returns to the stories, promises, and wisdom of the God of heaven. The stories give him an understanding of the past. The wisdom helps him deal with the present, and the promises give him confidence in the future. Psalm 1 has a very similar thought. Like the Sermon of Jesus we talked about before, this psalm begins with the word blessed. It says those blessed of God delight in his law. Remember David's image of a fine meal? The word delight is a word that reminds us of something tasty or sweet. But then he says that they meditate on God's law day and night. This is not some mystic concept of meditation, but having God's message always there, always a part of the process of making decisions, being thankful, being comforted, and telling someone of their passion, and doing so day and night. David says of God, my soul clings to you, even as your right hand supports me. My dad recently passed away. Before he died, the strong, powerful man I knew became weak and frail, often unable to stand on his own. 
One of those that cared for him when he became frail was his grandson, John. John is a mountain of a man and one of the strongest men I have ever known. But John was so kind and gentle to his grandfather. One night, my dad became anxious and agitated that something was wrong with the house. To calm his fears, John told his grandfather to place his feet on top of his and to hold on. John then held his grandfather up and walked him around the house to show him everything was okay. Afterwards, my dad was able to peacefully go back to sleep. But think of the love, compassion, and patience John showed as he gently moved his grandfather from room to room, letting him stand on the tops of his feet to help him step and soothe him with his words to calm his fears. God supplies the strength we lack, like John supplied the strength his grandfather needed to walk. In response, we must hold on to God and let him lead us. He will show us the truth. He will calm our fears. He will not abandon us. David says, just hold on. None of this is automatic or instinctual. This is a learned behavior and a learned passion. In fact, it might even run counter to our current habits. But that is where we started. Remember our rule of threes? The instinct is to be preoccupied with food in a survival situation. But the right course of action says, no, there are other things that must be your priority and must be met first or you will die. In this psalm, David searches for God like a man lost in a desert searches for water. He finds God and God holds out to him a glass of cool, fresh water. David drinks of the things of God and finds himself more than satisfied. He is delighted. He is excited to tell others of God's love. David falls asleep with his last thoughts of the day being his wonder and gratitude for God's blessings and his strength. We will hear more about David and the Psalms in future podcasts. But know this, we can only love what we know. We must be willing to learn, set aside bad information and habits, and cling to the God of knowledge, strength, and love. If we do, we will be more than satisfied. We will be delighted. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you want additional information, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or on our website at truthseekers.org. That's truthseekers.org.